Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 14. If you have your Bibles, or if you're new to the church, you're going, man, I don't have a Bible, and if I did, I don't even know who John is. If that's you, we're going to show it up here. I, I see this morning we had one projector go out during the first service, but you can look over here uh, in just a minute uh, when we uh, get to that scripture reading. Uh, would it be okay? Well, well first of all, man, I want to say welcome. And I want you to know, if I had time to say this individually to every one of you, just look at every one of you in your chair and go, I want you to know we're so glad you're at New Life. Uh, There are a lot of other places you could be. There's a lot of other things you could be doing. But I want you to know that you are loved and we appreciate having you. And uh, by the way, if you're new with us, man, I'd love to meet you after church. Um introduce yourself to me just right off the bat tell me you're new because I'll act like I've known you for five years because I just I'd rather err on that side right and probably our first time meeting and I would act like you're my best friend and I would know no difference and I would walk away feeling dumb when it was all over so just say I'm new um would it be okay to give you a couple praise reports listen I want to tell you something we don't come to church just to check something off a list right? We, we, are, we don't come to church, we are the church, right? Um, many of you are familiar with Appalachia Reach Out. Now, if you're new here, you may not be familiar with that. Appalachia Reach Out um, is a compassionate ministry in eastern Kentucky. Basically, of the 80 most depressed counties in Appalachia, Okay, that would consist of 13 states, 25 million people. 80 of those most depressed counties uh, in that area, 30, let's see, let me make sure I get the number right, 39 of those counties are in eastern Kentucky. And uh, I love eastern Kentucky. It's where I got my uh, Kentucky Wildcat from. I'm married just south of Ashland. Um, But man, I tell you, they have faced some challenging, I mean, it's just a challenging situation. Um, There's lots of drugs. Um, There's all kinds of cultural stuff going on that it is just a very, very, I mean, those are awesome people who are facing hard times, generally speaking. But many of you might know, if you watch the news at all, that in February and March, they faced a devastating ice storm. Now, a little ice up here means the roads are slick, right? Ice down there in those valleys and those hills and the gullies and all of those things, man, it is devastating. Snowstorm, devastating. And then they moved right into flooding. I mean, devastating. I showed some pictures a few weeks back. I didn't bring them this morning. Devastating. Um, And... uh, uh, the reason some of you will be familiar with Appalachia Reach Out is because we've taken two work and witness trips down there over the last couple years. Our teen group is getting ready to go down there this summer um, and help them out. I went on one of the trips, and then, you know, they had to send people to fix anything I worked on after I left, probably. But um, you, you are a part, as new life... You are a part of the solution of what's happening down there in the midst of their devastation. I, I have a slide here. Uh, Griffin, if you'll pop that up. 
Um, so now this was not all us. This was a bunch of churches across many states, but you were a part of this. Um, churches like us gave over 200,000 pounds of non-perishable food items, 3,300 labor hours. And again, our teen group's going to go down there this summer and add more to those labor hours. Over 100,000 bottles of water, um, 500 flood buckets, other donated I, we, we gave money as a church. Some of you gave money as, as individuals. Um, at one point, I just made a call on a Sunday morning. I said, we're going to have a van out there. We need to fill it up with cleaning supplies, mops, and you know, water and all this stuff. And you guys just dropped by all afternoon, and you filled up that van. Uh, you have been a part of that solution. And I want to say a huge, huge thank you. Listen, you guys are so generous as you give the special offerings, like for Appalachia Reach Out. But you know why we had a van to take a van load of stuff down? Because so many of you are faithful and generous with your regular tithes and offerings. And so we had a van just to haul that. We had a youth pastor that uh, we pay, and he took that down there and gave it. It's because of your faithfulness and your just consistent tithing and giving. And I want to say a huge heartfelt thank you. You guys are so awesome. Another praise report before I get to preaching. Um, Last Sunday, I made a very clear call at the end of the service that if you wanted to receive Christ as Savior in your life, I wanted you to stand up wherever you were. And we had 11 adults stand up We had one of the kids in Kid Life gave their life to Christ. And then I'm assuming it was this Wednesday. Pastor Mandy sent me an email later on in the week. They had two more kids commit their hearts to God. I want to say amen. Listen, I want to tell you, new life is not here. I'm not here just just to entertain you once a week because I'm sure it's highly entertaining, right? What can I say? (laughs) Um, We are here to advance the work of the kingdom and to see lost people found, to see dead people brought back to life, to meet needs in our world. Amen? All right. Well, uh, our leadership team, probably for a year or more now, we've been working through a rebranding process, which... If you're any kind of a business person, you might appreciate this, but rebranding has to do with everything from color palette to logo to all the stuff. It included updating our mission statement, which our our revised mission statement is this, and we'll preach on it a lot more in the days to come, but is this, doing good and sharing the hope of new life. Let me tell you, um, our mission statement basically boils down to fulfilling the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. Anything we do outside of that, we're wasting our time. Jesus calls the church to fulfill the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. So our mission statement basically is our way of doing those things. And now, doing good. Remember Jesus said when you give a cup of water, when you give a sandwich, when you go visit someone in prison, when you go uh, visit the elderly or the orphan or whatever, um, that's doing good, right? Right? 
but we also have sharing the hope of new life because we can do all, I mean, anybody can do a bunch of good, but if we're not sharing the truth of the gospel along with it, we're wasting our time. It only lasts for a moment. But when we share the hope of new life along with it, guess what? It lasts for all eternity. And so, and then we have a tagline, which is basically an abbreviated version of that, which is doing good and sharing hope, which that's just the stuff that'll go on a t-shirt, a billboard, social media, whatever. Well, as part of this process, we've been clarifying our values as New Life Church of the Nazarene, our values, okay? Now, you, you might say, Troy, you know, rebranding and all that sounds so unspiritual, so commercial and all that. Why is that all necessary? But, but I want to tell you what I believe. I believe that we need to do everything in our power to clarify who we are as a church and the message that God has called to pro- us to proclaim to the world. Why? Because if there's ever been a day where clarity has been needed, it's today. I mean, even in so-called Christian circles, the truth is getting watered down. The truth is getting twisted and manipulated, let alone what the, what the non-Christian circles are teaching and believing and living by, right? And so why are we doing this it's because it's that important eternity is at stake i believe that the bible clearly teaches that the church and the message of jesus christ that it proclaims is the single hope of the world hey yeah first service did what they weren't so peppy but this is good um, kind of like saying attack to a guard dog makes a hair stand up on the back of your neck when you're preaching, when you guys clap and stuff. Um, and so to help, us, to help us clarify our message, we're going to spend the next number of weeks, um, including today, six weeks, um, talking about what our values are as a church. And this morning... Uh, well, the, the series title, you see it there is the big six, right? You, you, can, you can look at our values a number of different ways. Maybe you can say our values are the foundation upon which everything we do is built, right? Or you could talk about our values being it's the filter through which everything we do is filtered, right? Or you can talk about our values as the framework, the structure in which we do everything, and so, this series is to help get us as lifers really focused, okay, on who we are and why we, why we are here, why we exist. But here's the cool thing. This series is going to be just as good for your friends who have no church background, they have no faith, they're just, maybe some of them are seeking, maybe some of them are not, but man, if you bring a friend, I, I promise you, these sermons are going to apply to those folks as well. Well, let me get on with it. Okay, so the value, the first value that I want to talk about this morning is simply this. Jesus is our focus. Jesus is our focus. May I ever be ever so clear 
on this as the pastor of New Life Church. Jesus is our focus. The day we get our focus on anything else, we're doomed. We might as well close the doors because we're going to do more harm than we are good. The day we ever look to anything else, to anyone else, we're in trouble. So Jesus is our focus. That's value number one. Say it with me. Here we go. One, two, three. Jesus is our focus. All right. So I want to talk about, guess who I'm going to talk about this morning? Jesus. Yes. Okay. Now, if, if you've spent any time in Scripture, you know that Jesus made a lot of statements that literally blew people's minds. Like, Jesus made a lot of statements that just rubbed the wrong way against the grain of human nature. So, Jesus said, in order to save your life, you must what? Makes no sense. Jesus said, the first will be what? And the last will be Jesus said, the meek are the ones who inherit the earth. Jesus told us to rejoice in persecution. That's crazy. How does that make any sense? Um, Jesus said to pray for your enemies. Side note, you know it's hard to hate anyone you're praying for. Try that sometime. Jesus said it's better to give than what? To receive. Jesus said, and man, we really don't want to do this one. Jesus said, whenever somebody offends you, turn the other. But by far, the most outlandish thing that Jesus ever said is found in John chapter 14, verse 6, which says this, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. I mean, this claim that Jesus made tears people up like no other. You know, in their minds, it's so narrow-minded, it's so arrogant. You know, some people are thinking, did Jesus really say that? Did Jesus really mean what he said? Yes, Jesus meant every word that he said. But not out of arrogance. He, he, he said it out of compassion. Um, and, in fact, I would go as far to say that this statement that Jesus makes in John chapter 14 is the most critical piece of information we have on planet Earth. John 14, 6. Everybody read it with me. Here we go. One, two, three. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father So the question is, why is this claim so controversial? And the answer is because this claim strikes at the heart of misunderstandings about religion. And one of those, and, and here for a moment, I'm going to kind of go sideways. You're going to go, Troy, what's this have to do with the sermon? But I'll bring it back around. One of the big misunderstandings about religion is this, that when you get right down to it, all religions are basically the same. 
Now, some might think that although there are, are surface level distinctions between the various world religions, that if you, you stop and you strip them all down to the basics, all faiths, all world religions are fundamentally the same. So, in other words, they would conclude that it doesn't really matter which one you follow, which path you try to find your way to God. In other words, all spiritual paths lead up to the same mountain because all religions basically teach the brotherhood, the sisterhood of men and women, and then, of course, the universal fatherhood of God, right? So, so they're all, at the end of the day, the same. Now, I, I will tell you this. There are some common grounds um, between the world religions, especially concerning when it comes to morality and some basic value issue type things. But I want to tell you something. There are some significant differences as well. In fact, with this one outlandish statement that Jesus made, he boldly puts Christianity into a class of its own. So, so if the path to God is through Jesus, then Christianity cannot be reconciled with any other world religion. The, this uniqueness of Christianity is rooted in the uniqueness of Jesus himself. Uh, someone once noted, they said, other religious leaders, they say, follow me and I'll show you how to find truth. Well, what did Jesus say? He said, I am the truth. Other religious leaders say, follow me, I'll show you many ways to God. Jesus said, I am the way. You know, other religious leaders say, follow me, I'll show you doors that, that can get you through to God. And Jesus says what? I am, I'm the door. And then Jesus says, follow me. This is why Jesus is our focus. You see the difference here, for, you know, too often people try to harmonize the various religions of the world, but there are incredibly drastic differences between the Christian faith and other world religions. You know, Jesus Christ is God himself reaching out to us. In fact, Jesus taught the exact opposite of what other world religions teach, right? They teach a few do all these things to make yourself suffer. You can kind of earn your way to God. If you go up onto some mountain and don't talk for months, you know, you can, you know, get in relationship with God. If you don't kill cows or beetles or June bugs, you're going to be good with God, right? It's all these things you do, don't do, whatever. Jesus said the exact opposite. He said, there's not one thing that you or I can do to earn our way into a relationship with God. Not one. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us. And then if you go over to Romans 6.23, the first part of it says this, for the wages of sin is what? Death. We're all guilty of wrongdoing, and wrongdoing separates us from a perfect and a holy God. And because God is a righteous judge... Our wrongdoing, our sin, our guilt, it all has to be paid for. But here comes the good news. This is why we call it the good news. Out of his love for us, God sent his son. And out of his son's love 
for us in his obedience to his Father. He offered himself as the substitute by which to pay for our sin. And, and when we receive that sacrifice on our behalf, then and only then do we become united in relationship with God. Now, I, I didn't read all of Romans 6, 23. Here it is in its entirety. For the wages of sin is what? Death, right? Sin always leads to death. No matter how you try to rationalize it, no matter how you try to ignore it, no matter how you try to think it's not that big a deal, it always leads to death and destruction. But it goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life in who? Yeah, Jesus Christ our Lord. Back to the point, this is why Jesus is our focus. Now, some of you, maybe you've been in the church for a long time or read religious books and all this, maybe you've heard this, but, but this is a very simple illustration of the difference between Christianity versus other world religions is that other world religions are spelled do, D-O. You do this, you'll be good with God. Do this, you'll be good with God. You don't do that, you'll be good with God, right? Um, but Christianity is spelled done, D-O-N-E. Everything that's ever needed to be done for us to be in right relationship with God, it's done. And it's a gift that we can't earn. There, there are other... Am I yelling? I feel like I'm yelling. I'll stop yelling. I just need a big wooden pulpit where I can really hammer it. There are other fundamental differences between Christianity and other world religions as well. Uh, for instance, Christianity obviously, well, I say obviously, but I hope we have people under the sound of my voice that some of this stuff isn't so obvious, right? I hope we're reaching people. But Christianity says there's one eternal God who created the universe, and he wants to have a relationship with you. Hinduism says everything is God. You're God, I'm God. This music stand is God. Um, Islam denies that Jesus was God and denies that Jesus died for our sins. Buddha may not have even believed in a God. I mean, think about it. These beliefs cannot all be true at the same time. They contradict each other too much. It would be about like me standing up here saying, there's oxygen in this room there's not oxygen in this room. Both cannot be true, right? So all religions are not the same. And while other religious leaders, they can offer helpful insights and, and sayings and quotes, only Jesus Christ, because he is the perfect son of God, is qualified to offer himself as payment for my sin and for your sin. No other religious leader even pretended to be able to do that. It, it, here's another way to think of it. it. It's completely illogical to think that God would come to the United States of America and go, hey, here's how you reconcile yourself with me. But then God would go over to some other part of the world, the Middle East, and go, no, here's how you folks, this is how you please me here. It's different than those folks in America. And then God go over to some other people group somewhere in the world and go, no, this is how you get into a right relationship 
with me. No, it would only make sense that he would provide a path for us all to follow in finding him and that he would tell us about that path in, in an extraordinary way, which he did by sending Jesus Christ into human history. And so it does matter 100% what path you follow. Jesus' own words that we read in John chapter 14 dispels the myth that all paths lead to God. It is not true. Here's another misunderstanding. Christians are narrow-minded when they say Jesus is the only way to heaven. Now, I would agree that Christians would be being narrow-minded if there were many paths that led to God and we were going, yeah, but ours is the best, right? But that's not what we're saying. What Christianity is saying is that the penalty for our sin, our wrongdoing, that's keeping us away from God has to be reconciled. It has to be paid for. It has to be taken care of. And Jesus, by virtue of his sinlessness and his divinity, is the only one qualified in the history of humanity to be that substitute. And so it's not narrow-minded to simply act on the evidence and pursue truth. Let me illustrate it this way. My, my son Caleb, who was up here leading worship, not so much these days. I, I hope, I think I hope he's kind of grown out of it, but when he was younger, he used to love to get poison ivy. <laughs> Anyone have kids like that? I mean, you just say the word, you know, and there's a doctor bill for poison ivy. Now, as you know, poison ivy can be pretty devastating. By the way, one of, you know, we all have these big, deep questions we want to ask God when we meet him. You know what my question is? What's up with poison ivy? Why do you create poison? What one good thing comes from poison ivy? The only thing I can come up with is it's God's lesson to us just teaching us, hey, there's just some things you need to keep your hands off of. We're going to go with that, but that's going to be my big question. But as you know, poison ivy can be devastating to your day, but it is fairly easy to treat, right? Um, the doctor would say that all you have to do is put this medicine on, keep it from itching, give it a little bit of time, it'll dry up, and it'll eventually go away. Now... As Caleb's parents, me and Krista could say, well, that sounds way too easy. Way too easy. And we could go, no, we've got to try harder. And so we're going to pull all of Caleb's teeth out. We're going to put a pair of ice skates on them and make them run 25 laps around the house each morning carrying an armload of wood, right? If we work hard enough, I'm sure that we can get this poison ivy thing to go away but the doctor would look at us and say, no, Troy, I told you how to deal with poison ivy. As parents, we could say, well, uh, you know, how about if we just ignore the doctor's instructions and we just pretend like Caleb doesn't have poison ivy and it's all okay. The poison ivy solution is your truth, doctor, not our truth. And if we sincerely believe our 
truth, everything is going to work out in the end. And the doctor would say, well, as his parents, you have the right to do that, but you're going to jeopardize Caleb's health. The doctor would say, Troy, I told you how to cure poison ivy. You're hesitant because it sounds too simple. It sounds too easy. But look at the credentials hanging on my wall. Troy, I'm telling you, I've helped cure hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people from poison ivy. Trust me, the doctor would say. Now, would anybody accuse us as parents, me and Krista, of being narrow-minded if we trust what the doctor says and we pursue his course of treatment that he said is going to cure poison ivy on Caleb. Would anybody accuse us of being narrow-minded? No. That's not being narrow-minded. That's acting rationally in accordance with the evidence that we've seen. Here's the point. And I get this. For those of you who have been in church for years, this is this is pretty fundamental stuff. But I want to tell you something. We need to keep preaching the fundamental stuff because it's the truth. Here's the point of the poison ivy story. We all have a terminal illness called sin and the reason we cling to Christ is because He is the only, He is the great physician. He is the only one that can cure us of this sin. We can try all kinds of, of crazy things. We can try to punish ourselves to get rid of the sin. We can try to get the sin to go away by doing enough good deeds, but it won't. We can sincerely think that there's another way of dealing with sin, but we would be sincerely wrong. The truth is that the great physician, Jesus Christ, who is our focus, is the only cure for sin. And when we turn to Him, we're not being narrow-minded. We're simply acting rationally in accordance with the evidence that we know to be true. It's not snobbish or narrow-minded to believe what Jesus taught about being the only way to God. The, the supremacy of Jesus is declared exclusively our world hates that word exclusive Carl Sandburg said exclusive is the worst word in the English language but Jesus Christ himself made many exclusive claims if you just look at John's gospel in John chapter 1 and chapter 8, Jesus claimed to be the eternal son or the, the eternal God. If you look at chapter 5, he claimed the exalted position of being the exclusive judge of the world. If you look at chapters 10 or chapter 14, Jesus makes the exclusive claim of being the savior of the world. Can I tell you something? And if you forget everything else, remember this. You know, write this down. I see many of you are already feverishly taking notes. It's so impressive. Write this down. Remember this. Jesus Christ is not a local God campaigning for the respect of other nations. 
He's the one true God who has been declared to be the exclusive Savior of the world. This is not snobbish. This is not being narrow-minded. This is truth. Beware of those who say that all world religions basically are the same at the end of the day. That's a lie straight from hell. Beware of those who take what we would call in church circles a wider mercy view. You know what a wider mercy view is? In other words, that God makes exceptions for sincere followers of other religions, even though they didn't believe in Jesus Christ, that somehow after death, God's just going to go, okay, you were sincere, we're, going, we're all good. That's the wider mercy view. Don't be led astray. The only one who has the power to bring a person into a right relationship with God is Jesus. This is why we say, here's value number one, Jesus is our what? Now, you need, you need to understand something. Christians often are, are bashed um, because they preach that Jesus is the only way. Here's the other side of it. Uh, yes, Christ is the exclusive Savior, but He inclusively invites everyone into a relationship with Him. If you've ever memorized one verse in the Bible, it's John three sixteen: For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whosoever believes in Him, what? Shouldn't perish but have everlasting life. Whosoever will. Anyone... No matter where you've been, what you've done, no matter how much you've messed it up, no matter how righteous and good you think you are, anyone can be saved. And so, what are you going to do with it today? The next step for you, for someone under the sound of my voice, might be, you know, you're not really in a place where you're ready to step across the line of faith and receive Jesus as Lord of your life. Maybe this, maybe this is some of the first time you've heard some of this stuff. Maybe for you, your next step is to simply become a sincere seeker of truth. Just to sincerely seek for truth. Because I, I want to promise you something. If you are sincerely seeking for truth, you will ultimately, at the end of the day, find Jesus. But if you're like, a lot of other North Americans who would say that Jesus, yes, I believe that Jesus Christ is God, then maybe the next step for someone here who would say that is to step, actually step across that line of faith and receive Jesus Christ as their salvation. Maybe that's your next step. See, when I, I was a, just a little boy and I realized I could not save myself. And that unless I took Jesus as the penalty for my sin and my lostness, that I would remain separated from God. But I heard the good news that Jesus could be my rescuer. That he knew, the, not that he knew the way to eternal life, but he is the way to eternal life. And here's the message of hope this morning. This relationship with God 
is available to everybody under the sound of my voice, whether live and in person or sitting in the lobby or watching online. This relationship with God is available to everyone. And he can this morning, remember Christianity is spelled done. The work has been done. And all you got to do is confess your need for God and your sin and open up your life to him. And this morning he can become your healer, your redeemer, your forgiver. As the song says, your chain breaker, your hope, your peace, your salvation. That's why Jesus is our focus. Because nothing or no one else can provide that. Value number one, Jesus is our focus. But I, as I close this morning, I, I, can't, I cannot close this sermon saying the things I've said without giving somebody a chance to accept Jesus in their, into their life. Right here, right now. And I don't have the band coming up to play a big, powerful song and I don't have some big emotional story to tell you, but I just want to give you the opportunity. I, I want to lead you in a prayer. And I'm just going to hold for about 15 seconds. I'm not going to pressure you, but I want to provide the opportunity. Is there anyone right now, right here this morning, who would just stand up right where you're at? We're not going to do anything weird or freaky. I just want to know who I'm leading in prayer. I would stand up right where you're at, or if you're watching online, let your online host know, but stand up right where you're at and say, Pastor Troy, I want you to lead me in prayer right here, right now. Just hold for about 10 or 15 seconds. Is there anyone at all? All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. And Lord, my prayer is that we as a church would not just put this value on some marketing statement. That we as a church wouldn't just talk about this value of Jesus being our focus on Sunday morning and pat each other on the back going, yeah, that's right, he's our focus. But Father... May we do the most important thing, which is to take it outside of these four walls, to talk it, to proclaim it, to live it through our actions, that Jesus is the hope of the world. May we take it to the office, may we take it into our homes, may we take it into our school classrooms. May we take it to the ball fields and the gymnasiums and the exercise rooms and everywhere. May we proclaim it through our words, through our actions. This is serious stuff. People are dying. People need hope. Lord, may we be bridge builders of hope. And all God's people said. Now just before I dismiss you, as Andrew mentioned earlier, we're having an awesome college worship night, food and all kinds of good stuff tonight. We want the college students to come back to be with us. If you need details, let us know. But 
Andrew, if you're new with us, I don't normally put people to work during church. But if a few of you, Andrew, where are you? Right here. If a few of you would be willing to stick around a few extra minutes and help Andrew just move chairs to the side and stuff, that would be great. Andrew would love you forever. All right. Hey, you're dismissed. Thank you for being with us this morning. We love you guys.